we're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. everybody to Redemption Church. Are you glad you came today? All right. Now listen, even if you aren't glad that you came, I'm glad you came. So I'm so glad that you're here today. Hello and welcome everybody to Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. And we tell you each week where where we are. And for you in the room, that doesn't do much because you know You are in Plano, hopefully. But our wonderful friends joining us online, there are people that find us all every week. They just find us randomly. We're in Plano, Texas. We're Redemption Church. We are glad to meet you. Please reach out to us and let us know that you are out there. And all our normal uh, podcast listeners and, and, and live stream watchers, we love you guys too. My name is Chris Fluitt, and I'm excited to share the Word of God with you tonight. We are in our series. What is it called? It's called? Spirit. Scary words, scary words. Welcome to the fourth week of this series. In week one, we told you about a word that was actually a name. What's that name? Ichabod. Ichabod, And it means the glory has, it's out of here. It's departed. Number two, we told you about the scary word that means without excuse. That was a scary one. It's even scarier to try to say it in Greek. We're going to just skip that this week since it's so hard Uh, And last week we told you uh, about telling God no. How scary it is to tell God no. It's u decomai, and it means refused, to refuse to receive. Today I want you to turn to James chapter 2 in your Bibles. I love to see you get out your smartphones, so you get out your Bibles and actually turn pages. I love to see it. We're in James chapter 2, and we're going to be reading for a little bit. We're going to be beginning at verse 8. James 2, verse 8. As you're turning with me in your Bibles, I want to say thank you to all our volunteers at Redemption Church. With some of you serve on the worship team. Can we hear it for that worship team? You know they give their guts every Sunday. I love it. Our greeting team, I love you guys. Y'all are so important. Y'all matter so much. Our children's ministries, our small group team, and of course, our tech team. Let's hear it up for our tech team. Love you guys. My gosh. So we want to just thank everybody. Thank you so much for all you do around here. We love our volunteers. James chapter 2, verse 8. Here we read. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law, as lawbreakers. Verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder you have become a lawbreaker. We, wanted, we went cover to cover in your Bible. 
And we believe that guilty is one of the scariest words in your Bible. Who agrees with me today? Everyone say guilty. guilty. It's a scary, scary word. Guilty means connection of a person to their crime. They're so connected, they can't get away with it. It's like a string. It's like a ball and chain. They can't run away from it. They are labeled with it. They are branded with it. They are imprisoned by it. They are forever connected to the crime. It means worthy of punishment. It means worthy of penalty. We understand what guilty looks like. Does everyone understand what guilty looks like? Sometimes we look in the mirror and we, still get, we see guilty, don't we? Yeah. But today I really want you to think about a person convicted of a crime. Anybody ever see that take place in a courtroom? And they are brought into a courtroom to be judged. And they're judged by a jury of their peers. And so they've got this jury there. And they are the ones that are going to decide the future of this person. And fast forward now to the end of the trial. And some of these trials take forever. They're very painful. They're very awkward things. Nobody ever wanted out in the open. They just, they get said right in there. The Amanda Heard. Is it Amanda or Amber? Amber Heard. And, and Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, that was awkward, wasn't it? Whoa, very awkward. And so at the end of this long, drawn-out, painful trial, after the charges have been laid out and all the testimony and evidence given, a jury of 6 to 12 people deliberate. They come together to decide. You have likely seen what happens when a jury comes back with a verdict, haven't you? The judge tells the defendant on trial to rise and face the jury. They have to get up. They look right at the people who have already decided their fate. But now they're about to reveal it. A voice then rings out in the courtroom. The voice says, we find the defendant. And at this moment, the defendant is bracing for the worst, praying and hoping for the best. You've seen it, haven't you? Behind that person are all their loved ones, and they are doing the very same. Maybe the person that's been hurt by them, the families hurt by this person, are hoping for the exact opposite. It's an unmistakable view watching someone's life begin again or end right at this moment. Their life hangs upon the very next word. The loved ones of the defendant, the loved ones of the prosecution, all those with a vested interest in the verdict seem to almost flinch. Everyone just flinches just as the word is spoken. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. Have you ever seen the aftermath of a guilty verdict? When this is said, I've seen full-grown men. They're very strong, very big and powerful. I've seen them cry and fall to the ground. I've seen their legs give out from under them, and they grab a table, and they weep, and they sob uncontrollably. I've seen it. I've, I've heard people scream in anger, scream in agony, and scream in terror. I've heard people scream out for God. They've also screamed. Screamed for their mommy and their daddy. I've seen it. 
I've seen people charge wildly uncontrollably, out of control, violently, and reach out to be helped by something, only to be held down by bailiffs and handcuffed. And this was their last moment of freedom. They have been found, somebody say it, guilty. What could be worse than being found guilty? The jury foreman has something worse for us. There is something worse than being found guilty. The jury foreman speaks up again on the second count. See, sometimes people aren't just guilty on one count. They're guilty on several accounts. On the second count, we find the defendant guilty. And on the third count, we find the defendant guilty. And if it's really bad, I mean really bad, it keeps going and it's going. And guess what? The person's already guilty, but now they're just more guilty. And every time it says guilty, it's more of their life gone from them. It's more of their freedom gone from them. And it's more shame, it's more punishment, and it's more penalty. Most people in that situation, if they could end their life right at that moment, they would end their life right at that moment. They would look you in the eye and say, that's the lowest moment of my life. That moment. The defendant is found guilty on all counts. That's what's worse than being found guilty. One time. Being found guilty on every single count. Do you understand what I'm saying today? Everybody say guilty on all counts. Often people have broken more than one law. So what is so much more for being guilty on one account is being guilty on multiple counts. Why? Because it brings about a greater penalty. So this got me thinking this week, who is the most guilty criminal of all time? Who has the most guilty verdicts against them in court? My wonderful friend, my buddy, Marshall Blessing. Let's hear it for Marshall Blessing. He is the most guilty of all. No, he's not. But I, I said, Marshall, I'm having trouble finding this information. Can you help me research this? So he helped me research these statistics this week. And here's the first one. Bernie Madoff. Remember this guy? The jokes wrote themselves because Bernie Madoff with all the money. Everybody remember? Bernie Madoff is noteworthy for having defrauded people of $64.8 billion. Everyone say billion. Billion dollars. Not $64. Not $64,000. Not even million dollars. Billion dollars. $64.8 billion. And he was convicted of 11 federal felonies. 11 times he stood before that jury, faced them, and they said on count one, all the way through 11, he is guilty. A few years ago, Bernie Madoff died in prison. Here's another person. I bet you haven't heard of this guy. Depress Johnson. Depress Johnson. This is a weird story. Kids, be careful with social media. Everybody say, be careful with social media. 
this guy was charged with 142 felony charges in 2013 after posting numerous incriminating photos on his Instagram account. He was posing with illegal substances, drugs. He was posting pictures of him with drugs, actual drugs, doing drugs, cocaine, a line of cocaine on the table. He's he's like, yeah, selfie time. And weapons. So he had weapons. He had guns. And you got to bite right to bear arms unless you're a felon on parole. Then you can't own a gun. You never can have illegal substances. Kathy, you can't have illegal substances. Finally, someone's told her. Love you, Kathy. I'm kidding you. But he had all these guns. So he's got all these gangster pictures. He's like, ah, with the gun. And they're like, guilty. There's one account. Next one, ah, like there's another gun. And every time he posed with a gun, an illegal substance, it got him in a courtroom where they said, you're guilty, dude. Who made you post this? And he's like, I posted. I thought it looked cool. 142 felony charges in 2013. Depress Johnson. Poor dude. This one's real bad. Luis Alfredo Garavito. He's a Colombian serial killer. He was convicted in October 1999 of murdering 147 minors. That's 147 murder convictions of a minor. In fact, he's actually have confirmed to have committed 193 murders and is still suspected of others. This guy, 147 at least convictions. That's mighty high, isn't it? And that's mighty disgusting and mighty sad and man, mighty, what a monstrous thing to do. But he's not even number one on this list. Here's number one on this list. It's right here in the United States. It's Terry Nichols. Anybody know Terry Nichols? He, he did some work with a guy named Timothy McVeigh. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Terry Nichols was one of the Oklahoma City bombers. He was convicted in 1995 of 161 counts of first-degree murder, first-degree arson, and conspiracy. He was also given the longest life sentence ever. 161 consecutive life sentences. Do you know what a life sentence is? It means you're never going to get out of jail. Your entire life is going to be in jail. If you serve them consecutively, that means (laughs) he would have to die 161 times. And be raised the 162nd time to ever have freedom again. In other words, if you have a life since you're never getting out. But now, this guy's so bad that 161, the, the, the jury said, not only are you worthy of dying in jail, you are worthy of dying 161 times in jail. That's how worthy of death you are. His name's Terry Nichols. 161. Someone say 161. 161. I believe he was guilty on all charges. Now I want you to imagine the, the evil that I've shown you some of these people do. This guy, this guy blew up a government building with children in it. They were pulling little children out of 
out of the rubble. There were people never found. The, the, the blast was so great. 161 guilty convictions. Now I'm going to just ask you this. I want you to just think about it. Can you imagine a worse criminal? I've, I've shown you some pretty bad ones just with the amount of, like, the amount of guilty verdicts here. That, that's pretty bad. Can you imagine? Now, maybe think about this. Can you imagine standing in a courtroom and hearing guilty pronounced over you, not once, not twice, but over 100 times? 161 times. Can you imagine? Can you imagine making it through all 161? I can't. I think my, my heart would give out and I would, I'd be gone right there 161 times. And living <laughs> guilty of 161 consecutive life sentences. It's hard to imagine a more worse criminal. But there is a more worse criminal. In fact, I would tell you that our rap sheet is much longer than 161. Come up here, son. I want to tell you for a few moments that the number of laws that we have broken makes 161 look small. That the laws that we have in our portfolio here, our affidavit, is much larger by comparison. Let's read one more time. James chapter 2, verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. That's right. That's good. But, verse 9, if you show favoritism, you sin. If you show favoritism, all you're trying wasn't fulfilled. You sin and you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. But I tried. Yeah, but, but you didn't fulfill it. And so now you're convicted. You're a lawbreaker. You did not love your neighbor. Verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law, I really want us to focus on this verse. You look at it. Whoever keeps the whole law, say whole law, and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said you shall not commit adultery, real quick, who said you shall not commit adultery? It's God who said that. Also, that same person said you shall not murder. Who said it? God. So God himself said, do not do these things. If you do not commit adultery, you can't strut around and go, I am so good at keeping the law when you turn around and murder someone. It says you have become a lawbreaker. Verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of the law. Does anyone see it say that? It says it very clearly. If you have broken a single point of the law, you are guilty on all counts of the law. I want to make sure that we understand Trying to keep God's command to love, that's good. But if you show favoritism, what is that? That's a sin. You're a lawbreaker. If you stumble at just one point, you're guilty on all counts. Yeah, all points. If you keep one command, but not the other, you're a lawbreaker. We are sinners. 
We're sinners, aren't we? I want to correct that today. We're the worst sinners. I want you to get that. I really want you to believe it today. We're not just sinners. You're not just looking at a sinner today. I am the worst sinner. According to this. We are lawbreakers. Not just lawbreakers. We're actually the worst lawbreakers. We've broken every single one of them. We are not better than anyone else. Somebody get this in your heart. We are not better than anyone else. Sometimes we like to look at other people and go, oh my gosh, thank goodness I'm not like that person. You know, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not that person. That person somehow is a worse sinner than me. That some person is a worse lawbreaker than me. Get it right. There is nobody worse than us. Own it. Own it. We are just as guilty as anyone else. Just as guilty as anyone else. According to James chapter 2 verse 10. Just as guilty. Romans 3.23, we quote this a lot. Somebody ought to be able to quote it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. These are two things you ought to know. Everybody's a sinner and every sinner deserves death. Who deserves death? Anybody deserves death? Me, me. Look right here. I deserve death. I deserve death. I've got a rap sheet. We deserve the wage of our sin. Do you want to see the wage of our sin? Here it is. Thank you, Abby, for helping us. Walk back here. Hey, how are you? I got here your rap sheet. We might need a bigger church for all our sins. I think it's like 20, 25 pages or something. I don't know. I'll explain this in a second. I just want you to look at that. What if someone had this kind of paperwork on you? Said you were guilty this many times. Someone does have this kind of paperwork on you. This is the wage of our sin. And the wage of our sin is death. This is why it makes no sense for sinners like us to yell at someone else and call them a sinner. When I got this rap sheet, how am I going to walk out there and look at somebody ugly and yell at them that they're a sinner, that they're a no good sinner, and that they're worse than me? Maybe they should come to church where all the good Christians are. Right? That doesn't make any sense because this is the reality right here. I'm telling you, this is the reality. We, the good church folks, the good church folks who came to church on Sunday, we are guilty on every single count, every single law that God has broken, we have broken. Makes no sense. To look at somebody and say, you're a no good sinner. We are no good sinners. And if we get a better grip of how much we are sinners, how far we have fallen from the glory of God, maybe we would have a little more mercy on people. Maybe we would be kinder to people. Maybe we would have a little more grace towards 
other people. But then again, a person with this kind of rap sheet, it's wonder that they show grace to anybody. Now, I said that about you, but that's how people think about Timothy McVeigh. That's how people feel about depressed Johnson, right? Oh, of course they're going to do that. They're no good sinners. We don't treat people that way. We're like, they did me wrong. Hang them high. We don't have any mercy. We don't have grace. We've lost track of our rap sheet. Do you realize you're the worst kind of sinner? Own that a little bit. Own that a little bit. Don't, don't be defensive about it. Throw yourself at the mercy of the court and say, yeah, I am. Looking at the worst kind of sinner today preaching to you. The Apostle Paul knew this. And that's why he referred to himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul refers to himself as the chief of all sinners. He says, I'm the worst, guys. If sinners have a leader, I'm that guy. If sinners have a pastor of being sinning, that's me. If they have a king of sinning, that's me. I have fallen so short. This is the Apostle Paul talking. My goodness, that could get in the heartbeat of a church a little more, that we are no good sinners. You know where no people who find themselves and realize they're no good sinners, do you know where they run? They run to God. Show me a church that stopped running to God and I'll show you a group of people that have forgotten that they are no good sinners. Anybody else clap for that? Are we a church that has stopped running for God? Mm. Paul also wrote these words in Romans chapter 3, verse 11 through 19. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. Jews, the people of God. That's how they thought about themselves. And he says, Jews and Gentiles, exactly under the same power of sin. The Jews aren't better than the Gentiles. The Gentiles aren't better than the Jews. Somebody say amen if you understand. Verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's not a righteous one of us in this room. Verse 11, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Verse 12, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Pause, what is Paul doing here? He's saying, do you understand? You need to get a picture of what kind of sinner you are. If you're a Jew or a Gentile, y'all are arguing about this stuff. Let's take off Jew and Gentile. Let's go Baptist and Methodist on it. The Baptist and the Methodist going, oh, I'm better than you. The Pentecostal and the Pescopalian, I'm better than you. Or just the Christian and the agnostic. The Christian and the Buddhist. The Christian and anybody else. And he is painting this picture. Do you realize just how bad it is and how just like every other bad sinner we are? Do you see it? Verse 13 describing this kind of sinner. Their throats are open graves. Just a bunch of death coming out. They, they say things that are deadly. They say things that kill people. Their tongues practice deceit. They just lie. The poison of vipers is on their lips. To even listen to them is poisonous and toxic. Verse 14, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. I've known some Christians 
that are full of cursing. And most of it goes, oh, a Christian who curses, but we're fine with the next one somehow, full of bitterness. Because I've known Christians who would never curse, but they'll never forgive somebody. Let me tell you, Paul's preaching to us, and you existed a long time ago in that first century. We're no different from them. We're just as lousy sinners as they are. Very, verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. What does it mean for your feet to be swift? It means you run quick. You move quick. Some of us, we move really quick to bloodshed. We'll move really quick to watch blood being shed. We'll also move really quick to hurt somebody, to just stick them in the back with that knife and twist it a little bit. Oh, that we would be quick to run to prayer. Oh, that we'd be quick to run to someone in distress. But he says we're quick not for those things. We're not quick to run to the house of the Lord. We are quick to run to bloodshed. Verse 16, ruin and misery mark their ways. I'll move on. Verse 17, in the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held guilty before God. Who's guilty before God? The whole world. The whole world. Look at that verse. The whole world held guilty before God. We're guilty. We're guilty. One day before the judge of the world. Do you know the judge of the world? His throne's going to come down. And all the world, every person that's ever lived on the face of the planet, every person from Adam and Eve all the way to a baby not yet born is going to stand before that judgment seat. And every mouth will be closed. Said every mouth closed, right? Every mouth silenced. As we all stand there and realize we are guilty before God, everyone who stands before his throne is guilty. Do you understand that? Every one of us is guilty. Don't you agree that guilty is a scary word? Thank you, pastor, for scaring us to death. Like that courtroom scene where the defendant stands to hear the verdict. That will be us, but it will be far much worse It'll be far much worse for the people that stand before that throne one day. We will stand before God, and I want to tell you, not a one of us have a chance of innocence before his throne. Not a one of us have a chance of innocence because our list of crimes is much lengthier than any ever committed on the face of the planet. I have in front of you how many laws. I have all 613 laws of Moses 613 and all I did is I just went to Microsoft Word and I just put the little number 
tool on and I just copied and pasted the word guilty 613 times. Just gave one line of it. And that's what you're seeing here today. Doesn't even take into account how, how much you've been a sinner in any of these. 613 right here at the end. 613 counts. And we're guilty on all counts. We're guilty on all 600. Do you realize on that day, on that day, standing before the Lord, none of us can say, oh, I think you made a mistake, clerical error. I'm not guilty on number 24. None of us can. All of them. All of them. 613 death penalties. 613 reasons why we fall short of his glory. 613 reasons why we should never make heaven our home. 613 reasons why we should be separated from God for eternity in a frightful place called hell. You listen to me. Hell is a real place. Hell is a place where God's presence has departed. Hell is a place no one wants to go. But we have, standing in front of us, 613 reasons why all of us should be there. On the count of being greedy, guilty. On the count of being lustful, guilty. On the count of being lazy, slothful, guilty. On the count of not loving God with all of our heart, guilty. On the, kill, on the count of not loving our neighbor, we are guilty. On the count of murder, we are guilty. Oh yeah, we're actually guilty of many homicides because Jesus said, if you hate in your heart, you have murdered in your heart. We are guilty of murders within our heart. Oh, now that takes it to a new level, right? Because God not only gets you on, on the account of what you've done, but even what you thought, the inclination of your heart. Adultery, well, I've never committed adultery. I've been very faithful to my wife. Oh yeah, are you sure about that? We are guilty of adultery in our hearts because Jesus said the exact same thing about adultery in your heart. He who looks lustfully has committed adultery in their heart. We are guilty. There is no defense when you're guilty on all charges. Gosh. Those people that were found guilty on like 100 counts, they couldn't really file pack paperwork to go, can we have another look at our court case? And they're like, on which of the 161 counts do you want to protest? It's like, you have 161 life sentences. Which of these counts do you want to try to uh, negotiate down? There's no hope. There's no hope because they've been caught and they are found guilty. You really can't offer an excuse. This is, we talked about without excuse a few weeks ago. You can't just say, I, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I didn't know that's not going to work here. We did the crime and you listen to us. We did the crime. I'm not talking to the person out, out there that's never come to church. You come to us all the time. You come, we love you. You're, you're welcome here. Right now I'm talking to the church folks. You listen, we did the crime. We are guilty. We do not deserve mercy here we do not deserve grace here we do not deserve salvation here and the moment you think you deserve salvation that's the moment you are the most lost 
The Bible is a binding document. Do you know that? Every promise in that book is absolutely going to come true. It's binding. It is a contract between God and mankind. And 613 times that binding document says that we are guilty. However, anybody want some hope? There's some hope. If you can be judged by this binding document, maybe you can be saved by this binding document. I offer you a new piece of evidence in this court case. Turn with me to Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Verse six, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. Somebody help me. The iniquity of us all. What's going on? Well, our transgressions. You see that word? Transgressions? Anybody see the word iniquities? Those are big words for sin. Everybody say sin. sin. Our sin and our punishment has been laid upon someone else, Isaiah says in chapter 53. Who is Isaiah 53 prophesying about? Who is he? Jesus. Say it again. Jesus is the he of Isaiah 53. He would be pierced. Does it say it? Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ would be born. The prophet received word from heaven that somebody's coming who would be pierced for our sins. Was Jesus Christ pierced? He was pierced where? He was pierced in his feet. He was pierced in his hands. He was pierced in his side. Even the thorns on his brow pierced his skin. This verse, Isaiah 53, says that he, being Jesus, would take upon himself all our guilt. Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like to you? It sounds like Jesus, who on the cross prayed a prayer for you. Who knows that prayer? It's one of my favorite things Jesus ever said. He says, Father, forgive Chris Fluitt. Listen, I was not standing there in time around that cross. But Jesus Christ died on that cross for Chris Fluitt thousands of years in advance. And this prayer that he prayed was for Chris Fluitt. Father, forgive Chris Fluitt for he knows not what he does. I'm telling you something. That's a pretty good description of Chris Fluitt. He don't know what he's doing most of the time. And everyone said amen. amen. Who can relate to that? We don't really know what we're doing a lot of the time. Yeah. Yes, amen. We hurt people and we don't even try sometimes. We, we fall back into temptation sometimes. We're like, how did we get here again? All the time. We don't know what we're doing. Jesus knows that. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. 
What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful Savior. Jesus is the name of that person in Isaiah 53. Guilty. Guilty is a scary word. But Jesus was willing to take our sin and punishment. The Bible says Jesus was sinless. Doesn't it say it? Yet Jesus became guilty. One of my favorite verses I remember as a little kid, I was just reading through the Bible and it says, Cursed is every man hung upon a tree. And I was like, wait a second. Jesus was hung upon a tree. Jesus became a curse for me. Jesus became guilty for me. Jesus became a curse for me. Jesus became sin. It literally says he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become his righteousness. He took our guilt upon himself and that is the good news of the gospel. Do we understand the cross? This rap sheet. It's pretty long, but I'm going to try to fold it up. Jesus takes our rap sheet. Every bit of it. You know, if he lost one of these, the devil would find it. They'll be like, ah! The plot thickens. Your honor, gentlemen of the jury, I stand before you. He has unpaid parking tickets. The devil would do that. If he could make parking tickets, send you to hell, he would do it. My gosh, I'm not even halfway. Hurry this up. My gosh. It just keeps going, doesn't it? Jesus takes our rap sheet. The rap sheet of every person, he takes it. Do you know what Jesus does with it? You know where he takes it? He takes it to the cross. We have a verse that says it's Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. Look at this on the screen. This is a verse you need to know. Having canceled the charge. That's the charge right here. Of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. I want you to understand this today, that Jesus Christ takes that awful, terrible rap sheet. All of your guilt, every bit of it. The huge amount of it. The amount that should send you to hell immediately. Don't pass go. Go immediately to hell. That kind of sin, that's us. He has taken every of it and he has canceled it. He has taken it away and it's nailed somewhere. Where is it nailed? It's nailed to the cross. Do you get this picture? That charges your list of guilt. All your shame, all your regret, and even all those secret sins that you tried to hide, Jesus Christ is willing. He wants to take them all Jesus takes that every, every last sin. He takes it away to the cross. It says he's taken it away and nailed it to the cross. Now what's nailed to the cross? Jesus is. 
I mean, we were talking about this, but do you, we remember that Jesus Christ himself is nailed to the cross? I want you to imagine the hand of Jesus. Somebody will hold your hand up in front of you. I want you to imagine a big hole in the middle of your hand because that's what Jesus' hand looked like after it had been nailed to the cross. They put a big spike through his hand and they nailed it to the cross. It went all the way through his hand, through the bone, through the sinew, through the flesh. There was blood everywhere and it sunk deep into the cross. And they didn't stop beating that spike until it came out the other side of that cross. And then they hit it so it would knock over so it couldn't be pulled out. His hand was nailed to the cross. But I want, I want you to picture one more thing. I want you to picture that his hand had something in it. And I want you to get the picture of that spike not only going through his hand, but it goes through every one of your guilty convictions. That spike goes through every one of your failures. That spike goes through every time you gave into temptation, every time you were hateful, every time you took the Lord's name in vain, every sin, every crime, every bit of shame and regret, it went through the charge, through his hand, and was nailed to the cross. Pick up this hand again. Can you imagine the hole in it? Can you imagine the hole in it? Can you imagine a hole in this? Imagine the hole in this now. There is the same sized hole that was in the hand of Jesus. It's now in your guilt. Put a, let Jesus put a big hole in your guilt today. Put a big hole in your shame and your regret today. Do you have that? There's a big hole in it. Big hole in it. Can't even be brought anymore it's nailed to a cross it has been taken away that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross can somebody clap their hands to Jesus in this place do you believe that I believe it with all my heart your guilt has a hole in it because of Jesus your shame has a hole in it because Jesus took on all of your shame your mistakes your regrets Jesus has done the work, so what do we need to do? We're, we're drawn to a close. Before very long, we're going to be singing. We're going to be worshiping. You're going to have an opportunity to come forward. I want you to take that opportunity today. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us, and have a...